Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning and welcome along. If you're here in the building or if you're watching along online, it's wonderful to have you with us uh, this morning. Uh, obviously, as government guidelines have changed, unless you're exempt uh, or you're eating and drinking afterwards, then please do keep your face coverings on uh, throughout the time uh, together. If you could also do, the, do us the, the great favour, um, when you come, please ensure that you do book in, uh, just so that we can uh, keep a track of everyone as well. That would be a really great help. Uh, please do book in uh, before you come. If you're new here, uh, please do make yourself known. It would be great to get to know you, get to know your story. If you're watching online if, and if you're watching maybe for the first time, please do get in touch with us through email. It would be great to get to know you and to hear your story as well. Let me pray as we open our time together. Now, Father God, we thank you for your loving kindness to us. We thank you as we think of this Christmas season of, of God coming to us, dwelling with us, Emmanuel. And so, Lord, help us to calm our hearts, to steady ourselves and think of you, to dwell on you. And we pray that you would come this morning, uh, that we would be able to worship you in spirit and in truth as we look to to live for you our lord jesus christ in his name we pray amen and now i'm going to invite up uh, warren and christina as they light this week's advent candle on the theme of joy prepare the way of the lord we light this candle in joy the joy that we have in jesus our savior prepare then the way of the lord You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Then rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Isaiah 9, verse 3. So let's, let's pray together. And Father God, we thank you that as we heard that you are the God of all, the God who is in control of all things, the one who is sovereignly in control of everything, of every detail in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you are not just the God above us, but the God with us. As we remember Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the, the amazing, miraculous truth of the incarnation, of you coming to dwell among us. And so we adore you for that. Forgive us for the times, Lord, for when we think that you have forgotten us that you have no longer uh, put your face towards us, that you have turned away from us. And forgive us for the times that we live lives which are completely uh, separate, that we have our church life and then we have everything else. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to live in the light of your smile, that you would be uh, with us in every part of our lives, not just uh, the sacred, but in every part. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to live for you and to live for others, that we would seek to, to love others, to serve others, to care for others as best we can. And Lord, we pray uh, that you would, you would help us because of what you've done for us in paying for our sins entirely, that we have been cleansed of all of our sin, that there is no barrier between us and you anymore because we have been fully forgiven for what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Lord, we, we lift up uh, the work of Baby Box and Toy Box, um, so many uh, young mums and dads being able to uh, be part of the church family through that. And we pray for people to step in the gap and to serve in that. 
And we pray, Lord, for the many Christmas events happening uh, this week and next. We pray for uh, the deliveries uh, today. Uh, we pray for the events uh, next Sunday, for the carols service, uh, for the carols in the square. And Lord, for everything, Lord, that happens, that you would be glorified and that people would see Jesus through that. And Father, as we come to your word now, we pray for Steve as he reads. And he do so clearly that we would hear your very words speaking to us. And we pray for Neil as he preaches, Lord, may you speak to our hearts through his word that we would be changed, that we would live for you, that we would no longer live in the darkness, but live in the glorious light of our Lord Jesus. All this we ask in his precious name. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thanks very much, Steve. Good morning, everybody. Well, in a couple of weeks' time, um, it's going to be the shortest day of the year. In other words, the day with the most hours of darkness. There will be more than twice as many hours of darkness as there will be of daylight, which is quite a depressing thought, isn't it? What is it about darkness that is so depressing? I think it's partly how it makes us feel. You know, the fact that we can't see everything makes us feel insecure. We don't know what's hiding in the dark, what dangers are lurking. But also what it symbolizes, it symbolizes emptiness, hopelessness, deceit, evil, chaos. In the account of creation in Genesis 1, we are told in the second verse of the Bible, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And what's the first thing that God does? And God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. When God created the world, it was a wonderful place to live. But when humankind rebelled against God, the world once again became spiritually dark and broken. Well, the good news is that God decided to do something about it. He chose a people and promised that from their offspring would come the saviour of the world. Because our saviour was his own son, Jesus Christ, who came as the light of the world. He took on himself all the sin and evil of humankind, which is why as he hung on the cross, the world was covered in darkness, even though it was the middle of the day. But on the third day, he rose again to to glorious light and conquered sin and death. Well, this passage we've heard read to us this morning is a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. It's given to the people of Israel a dark time in their lives when they're feeling threatened by a larger, more powerful country around them. But if we look back at um, the end of chapter 8, we see that the main reason for their darkness is that they've turned their back on God. Look at verse 19 onwards there. We see they're they're consulting mediums and spiritists instead of God. And as it says in verse 20, if anyone does not speak according to this word, that is the word of God, they have no light of dawn. And so verse 21 describes the life they are leading, distressed and hungry. They will roam through the land. When they're famished, they will become enraged and looking upwards will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. In many ways, it's not unlike the situation we find ourselves in as a country today, is it? People cursing their government, rejecting God, in despair about the state of the earth. People see the problems but feel powerless to do anything about them. And what happens in a society that lives without reference to God is that there's a loss of morality, of integrity, of justice, peace, Harmony, hope, and joy. Spiritually, those without God are stumbling in the dark, looking for meaning and purpose, but not finding it, and becoming more and more lost, ending up in utter darkness. Well, the wonderful encouragement of this passage is that God has not abandoned his people. Instead, he reassures them with a wonderful promise that he will shine light into their darkness. Chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That light refers to the coming of Jesus Christ. The reason it describes a future event in the the past tense is that it expresses a certainty of what will happen. It's known as the prophetic perfect tense. Well, we're going to look this morning at what change that light will bring to the lives of the people of Israel then, but also what change it can bring to us today. And so if you this morning feel like you're living in darkness, maybe you feel empty, maybe you feel full of of guilt, 
Maybe you feel depressed and hopeless. I pray that God will fill you with great hope through the coming of his son. So what does this promise of Jesus bring? Well, first of all, the promise of Jesus brings joy, as we've looked at already this morning. Look at verse 3 there. It says, you've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. The promise of joy comes from belonging to God's holy nation. At that time, the nation of Israel had been divided into to two kingdoms. Both kingdoms had been warned about what would happen if they continued to disobey God and go their own way. They'll be defeated by enemy nations and carried off into exile. All that will be left of those who worship God would be a remnant. But out of that remnant, God promises he will enlarge the nation. He will build his kingdom. Chapter 11 of Isaiah, it says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And in chapter 37, it says once more, a remnant of the king of Ju- kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Out of the stump or the remnant will come a shoot and a branch. That branch refers to the Messiah, to to Jesus. When he comes, he will establish his kingdom and gather his people to be a part of it. The promise God made to Abraham that all nations on earth will be blessed through his offspring will come true as God gathers both Jews and Gentiles into his holy nation. Of course, we are now living today the other side of that prophecy, the other side of the coming of Jesus. We know it to be true. If we are Christians, we belong to God's holy nation that has been enlarged. 2,000 years ago, God's holy nation was a tiny remnant. Today, it comprises hundreds of millions of people throughout the world across the centuries. There are many who have already gone to glory, already received the inheritance that has been promised them. So if you are a Christian here this morning and you feel like you are in a tiny minority in this country, don't be discouraged. As you go to your school or your workplace tomorrow, don't worry that you may feel like you're you're on your own. You belong to God. You're a part of his holy nation. Political nations will will come and go. Rulers will, will come and go. Corporate bosses will come and go. But if you belong to God's nation, your eternity is secure. Your God will never go. He will always be with you. And that is a reason for rejoicing, isn't it? But the joy of being part of God's holy nation is not just about knowing that you, you are part of a bigger thing. It's also about being able to experience a, a greater intimacy, a spiritual connection with your fellow believers. You share the most important thing that anyone can share, a relationship with God. That connection means that however different we may be in personality, in temperament, in background, or the different different interests we may have, however awkward or annoying we may find each other, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And the result should be that we long to come together before God. Look at that verse 3 again, what it says there. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. The greatest joy that any of us can experience is to come before God in his presence. And in order to help the people of Israel appreciate what this joy will be like, Isaiah gives them an illustration of moments when they've experienced joy in life. He says, think about how much you rejoice in the harvest. When all that, that hard work is done, when all the worry is over, you know, your food supply is secure for another year. Think how much you rejoice. Or think about when you're at battle and what it means to win the battle. You no longer need to worry about uh, being defeated and losing all you have, being taken away into captivity. Instead, you divide the spoils of war. He's saying the joy of coming before God is greater than any of those experiences, greater than any of the experiences we can have today. One day we will see him face to face in all his glory. But we can still experience the joy of coming into his presence today. Of course, the trouble is that the pressures and busyness of this life can mean that we sometimes lose our joy in God's presence. That's why it's important at times to withdraw, spend more concentrated time with God before him. In prayer, just as Jesus did. We're often told that he withdrew to, to lonely places, didn't he? To pray, to spend time with his father. That's where the real joy comes from, being in God's presence. We can do that on our own, but uh, the joy of being part of God's people means we can also do it with others. In small groups, in larger church gatherings, when we come together for corporate worship before God. I know that for many of you watching online and this morning not being able to do that has been one of the hardest things of the pandemic. Let's pray that we will all be able to worship again together without any fear or any restrictions very soon. The promise of Jesus brings joy. Well, secondly, the promise of Jesus brings freedom. Verse 4, God promises a victory, a physical victory. But it also points to a spiritual victory. Read those verses, that verse there says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. In case you don't know the story of Midian's defeat, you can read about it in the the book of Judges, chapter 6 to 8. We're told there that Israel again did evil in the, the eyes of the Lord, and so for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. But although God can give his people over to their enemies at times, that doesn't mean the enemies are not responsible for their evil actions. The country of Midian enslaved and oppressed Israel, treated them badly, as they called out to God for for help. So God raised up Gideon to defeat them and release his people. Gideon called together men from the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, who we read about earlier in in verse 1 of this this chapter. And altogether, 32,000 troops were mustered. They faced an opposing force of 135,000. And if you thought those odds were not great, God slimmed down Gideon's army down to 300. And if my maths is correct, that means they were outnumbered 450 to 1. 
But God did that deliberately to show that the defeat of Midian came from him and not from their great human soldiers or warfare techniques. And so back in Isaiah 9, we're told here in this verse that God was the one who achieved their freedom. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their aggressor. God achieved their freedom by defeating their enemies. As it says in verse 5, Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, we destined for burning, we fuel for the fire. Well, when Jesus came, the people of Israel were expecting something similar, that the Messiah would free them from the oppression of the Romans. But Jesus came to free them from other burdens. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The burdens he was talking about were the burdens of living in a, in a dark world, trying to find a solution in our own strength, trying to prove ourselves, trying to make ourselves acceptable to God and impress others. And that way, Jesus said, leads to guilt, leads to failure, leads to despair. Just as God achieved the victory over Midian and enabled the people of Israel to live in peace in the promised land, so Jesus achieved the victory over sin and death through his death and resurrection. And his victory enabled us to live at peace with God, free from the worry of guilt, failure, and despair, free from the worry and fear of death. Because Jesus showed us that death is not the end. Not even death can separate us from the love of God. And what is more, death brings us into the presence of God for eternity. The promise of Jesus brings freedom from fear and guilt. And finally, the promise of Jesus brings peace. What the people in Israel at that time thought they needed most was peace from their big aggressive neighbor, Assyria. The type of peace that God promised them was a much deeper one. And the form in which it came was very different. It came through the birth of a baby. Look at verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The birth of a baby is a great thing to celebrate, as we've uh, done in recent weeks with the dedication of Rafi and uh, Ariana. But who's the baby referred to in this passage? What do these titles signify What's clear is that this is not just any human child. This is a divine child. And there are four titles given to him. Wonderful Counselor. To say he's a wonderful counselor is to say that he has supernatural divine wisdom. As human beings, we often think we know it all, but soon realize that we don't. This child's advice will be better than any advice you may get from the world. He has the wisdom of God who's all-knowing who is all wise. The title Mighty God makes it clear that this child will be God himself, 
will be called Emmanuel, God with us. As God is powerful, he has the ability to free his people and to preserve them. There's none more powerful than him. To describe him as as an everlasting father is not to, to confuse God the Son with God the Father, but to say that his rule will be like that of a divine father. He will provide firm and gentle care and provision. And finally, Prince of Peace. He's a Prince of Peace, firstly, because he's characterized by peace. There is no hatred in him, only love. And as Prince of Peace, he will bring peace. But what is that peace that he will bring? Well, peace is a bit like light. In the same way, the light is the the absence of dark. Peace is the absence of war or conflict. And war is broader than simply countries fighting against each other. It's, It's all conflict. To live in a world of peace is to live without conflict. When we think of conflict, we might think of um, violence, murder, rape, abuse. I think that, well, that doesn't happen in Long Crendon, surely. But conflict is broader than that. Sometimes we're blind to the conflict that exists even in our own lives. Not necessarily the violent conflict, but all the little things that disturb our relationships. The gossip, the grumbling, the jealousy, the pain we cause through our selfishness or our lack of sensitivity. The oversensitivity that makes us take offense when none is meant. The scope for conflict is huge in a world of insecurity and fear. Well, the peace that Jesus brings is an eternal peace because he deals with the underlying cause of all conflict. He doesn't paper over the cracks. He doesn't negotiate fragile peace agreements between sides who will continue to be at war. And it says of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. How does he bring this peace? How, how can a mere baby do that? Well, to see that, we have to see beyond the baby, the child who is promised to the man, Jesus. Unfortunately, not many people get beyond the child at Christmas. The other week, we had the toy box, the nativity play, and it's great to see all the children dressed up in their, their costumes, even if the costumes didn't quite match the roles they were meant to be playing. I'm not sure I've seen Mary dressed up as a sheep before. But... <laughs> There'll be thousands of nativity plays going on throughout the country, throughout the world. But of all the parents who go along and take photos of their their lovely children, how many of them get beyond that nice story at Christmas for which their children can dress up? If you don't get beyond the baby Jesus in the manger, then all Christmas brings is a temporary feel-good factor, a temporary reprieve from all the stress of life. But none of that deals with the real problem of darkness, which is life without God. For many, Christianity is just about a baby, and babies are cute. We know that. But they don't save anyone. Christmas is the start of the story. Jesus was born a baby, but he grew up to be a man who dies a dreadful death. And he does that so we need not die that death ourselves. 
So the punishment that is due to us for rejecting God, for walking in darkness, is dealt with forever. He does that. So the conflict that exists between us and God is removed. The relationship is restored and we can live at peace with God. What's the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples when he appears to them after rising from the dead? Peace be with you. Twice he says, peace be with you. It is finished. It is over. I've done what was necessary for you to have peace. Enjoy it. Just when you think your life may be ruined and no one can do anything about it, Jesus brings the possibility of peace, of restored relationships, of forgiveness, and a peace that will last forever. Nations will always be a conflict with one another. Families will always be in conflict with each other. The peace that Jesus brings will last forever. Read those verses there on the screen. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And peace here is referring to shalom, wholeness, completeness, fullness. It's possible for us to know that peace in our lives today. But one day when Jesus comes again and the earth is made new, the dead are raised to life and given new restored bodies, we will live in a world in where there is no injustice, no pain, no conflict, no hurt, just people loving each other under the reign of Jesus. And whether we get to experience that world of peace will depend on our response to Jesus, whether we will accept his gift. The Bible describes Jesus coming into the world as light, coming into darkness. But it also says in John 3, which we'll look at this evening, people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The reason it says in that passage that people do not come into the light is because they are afraid their deeds will be exposed one day we will all have to step into the light and have our deeds exposed. If we do it now, we can have them wiped away. There'll be no more guilt. So the question is, will you come into the light? Will you accept the gift of Jesus? If you do come into the light, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you will receive his eternal promises of joy, of freedom, and of peace. And if you have already come into the light, then don't let the darkness of this world discourage you, but continue to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. Let me leave you with the words from Jesus that he said to his disciples before he left them. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father God, we are aware that there is darkness all around us. There is a world which has turned its back on you. But we thank you that Jesus came as the light of the world. 
Thank you that he came to bring us joy, the joy of belonging to you. He came to free us from any sense of, of guilt and despair. He came to bring us peace, peace with you. And thank you that as we know that peace with you, everything else falls into place, Lord, our relationships with one another. Lord, help us to walk in the light of Jesus. Help us not to be tempted to, to stray away, but to keep, keep on going, keeping our eyes fixed on him. Looking forward to that day when he will come again. And we will see him in all his glory. We praise you for that. Amen. Uh, But let me close as we hear the words of Jesus in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Amen.